I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I extend my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners that we have joining us. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There were multiple moments over years where you, you hit a rock bottom and then you think, okay, it scares you enough. And, and what I was doing, I could hit an, a big enough rock bottom where it would scare the shit out of me. And I could stop drinking. I could just cut it out. And I could keep myself busy with other things. That was fine. But what I learned over time is that if you remove alcohol and obviously the substances are removed as well, if you're not doing work, if you're not getting help, the moment you pick up the next drink, you go back to where you were. Trent is a personal trainer, the founder of the 440 Run Club and the 440 Coffee Club, an ex-real estate agent and competitive athlete. In 2015, Trent started running up Bronte Beach Hill every Saturday morning as a way to deal with his own demons. What started as a solo run has grown to a global community, and now, each Saturday, 300 people convene to join him and his 440 partner, Todd Lubinskis, run laps in the dark at Bronte, and I am one of them. What Trent has created in the community is truly something special. Today, we talk about the importance of connection, the power of mindfulness, overcoming addiction, and how the journey of a lifetime often begins with a single step. This is Life Chats, deep and meaningful conversations with friends and strangers. I find it really interesting to find out about people's upbringings. I feel like that gives you a good insight into the type of person that they are today. You don't have to do a full run through, but I want to know, have you always lived in Bondi? Were you an active kid? Kind of what you were like growing up. Okay, we started? Yeah, we started. Oh, we're on. Hello, okay. welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for having me. Spent a lot of time in Bondi as a child. Mum and dad actually met down at Bondi Beach, so that would have been back in the 70s. Uh, Mum and Dad bought their first house in Sylvania, so down the Sutherland Shire. And when about the age of five months, they bought a they bought a house in Coogee because Mum had grown up in Paddington and her mum still lived in Paddington. And logistically, it was a pain in the bum for Mum to come and um, do the shopping with Nan every week. So yep. they they bought a house in Coogee in in, in nineteen seventy nine. My first, so we were swimming when we were really little. Um, Dad was an ex rugby league player, so he kept us pretty active. And but we spent all of our time at, at North Bondi. So I have a lot of a lot of fond memories of um, you know before the crowds and before all the, I guess fitness took over. Uh, there was it was just yeah beach and there wasn't there wasn't um, as built up as what it is now. And a lot of the big buildings that are around didn't exist. I still have memories of that. And uh, at an early age, we were. We're in Coogee Nippers for a while and then we, we found that we packed the car up. We were living in Coogee, drive down to Coogee, do the Nippers, pack the car up, drive down to Bondi. And then after a couple of years of that, mum and dad said, no, that's 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 too tricky and and threw us in. At the age of eight, I joined North Bondi Surf Club. And and during that time, I was doing I was swimming. Uh, I would have been playing rugby at the time uh, and I was doing Nippers. Yeah. What were your parents like? Were they driven? Did they push you or they, did they have a more relaxed approach? No, dad, um, very pushy. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad uh, being, he played rugby league back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. He played for, for, uh, for South, uh, South Sydney and played for Newtown Jets. 
Mum did a little bit of sport at school. Um, dad, dad was pushy, really mm-hmm. pushy. And I think his his drive to push us was he had a bit of a rough upbringing, didn't have a lot, um, and very hard headed and very tough guy. So his idea was he didn't want us to go grow up in the same environment he did. So the idea was to keep us busy with sport. You know, the the, the challenges with that is that. Um, you know, I guess a lot of parents during that era, and I'm still today, uh, they live through their children. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and look, you know, insane, and we'll probably talk about it today, but, you know, I've learned a lot through that, that the intention was there. Um, and a lot of a lot of my, and obviously we'll talk about the run club today, yeah. but a lot of um, you know, my drive and my, um, I guess, inspirations drawn from him about inclusion. So, you know, I, I can I can sugarcoat it and say that he was pushy. It was it was beyond that, and and I think during that era, parents were were lunatics. And I think, you know, if if um if if the authorities had seen what we were exposed to, they'd probably be all locked up. But you know, and I say that with respect and love. It they at the time, um, it's all they knew. Would you change anything? Because it obviously has made you the person that you are today. It's inspired you, but would you change those experiences? Oh, look, you, you, look it's not whether I change them. I can't change them. It's what you learn from them. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess the work that I do on myself, I've done on myself, allows you to take out you know moments of your life that were defining moments and allows you to, you know, maybe get past trauma or release stress um, and, and not to carry that 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 baggage that we, we tend to do. So, you know, if if I sat in that space still, I'd probably resent my father and I'd probably hate him. Um, but as I as I went through my I guess my ups and downs and started getting the help that I needed, um, I was able to have some sensible conversations with him, and I started to understand his upbringing, and I started understanding. Started to understand why he his behaviours were that what they were and and the tools that he had to navigate his life. So, you, you, you I constantly try and zoom out on what's going on, and I and I try and look at what's really happening. And so I have I have more love for him than I probably did for for a long period of time. Um, but he's helped shape the person I am as well. It's that lens of compassion, isn't it? You kind of understand why people behave the way that they do and you remove the reaction from it. Um, we will get into the run club and kind of mental health and all that sort of thing. I'm really keen to discuss that. But if my research is correct, were you a real estate agent? I was. Let's um, talk about that. Yeah. So I, uh, if we go back to school, mm-hmm. um, I didn't enjoy school. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I didn't enjoy it, I guess, looking back on it now, you know, surrounded by sport. Sport was put, sport was, I, I guess, in a nutshell, was shoved down my throat. And, and I say that because that's that's probably what it was. And looking, you know, looking back through it now, you know, the drive from mum and dad was, to, you know, to try and help us make something of ourselves but between myself and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then trying to give us the best, send us to a private school, um, I don't know how they afford it. Sometimes they did, and and you know, looking back on it, I I, I learned a lot. Um, I, I was given a different sort of education um, from from that private school environment, and I guess when I got out, when I was going through school the last couple of years, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I I no, absolutely. I don't think many people do. No, nah, and I like- and I did. I, I I had no idea. I hated school. I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I, I just remember being in, sitting in exam rooms, just being there in body and my head was elsewhere. Yeah. So when I got out, I just, I was still doing a lot of sport. I was um, at the time swimming a lot. I was doing a lot of stuff in the Ironman um, sort of space and surf mm-hmm. space. And I remember that I just had made a decision. I didn't want to work in an office, but then um, a friend of, oh, I, I like being outside. And That's then, me. I'm the yeah, same. Yeah. I yeah. just, it's a rule. So a friend, a good, a good friend of mum's, um, mum had actually worked for um, a real estate guy many years ago and um, Doug Lang, who was a, turns out was Olympic um, water polo player and his, his daughter Vicky um, took over the business and she still today still runs um, an amazing business up in Potts Point. I went and did some work experience with her and I remember she was selling some stuff in Redfern. Um, so you're talking before two, year 2000, mm-hmm. uh, 1980, 1998, 1999 probably. And I thought this is pretty cool. Um, I found earlier on that I was I was attracted to interiors and architecture and things like that. Then I applied for a job in the city and I ended up being employed by a guy I went to school with father mm-hmm. and they used to sell apartments in the city and, and I hated that job. You know, I love Bruce. Um, Bruce might hear this one day. Um, <laughs> but I, I just didn't enjoy it. And yeah. then I was offered a job through the surf club for one of the guys who owned a project marketing business. Mm-hmm. And I learned, I went straight into sales and we were selling uh, like little warehouse conversions around the inner city like uh, Chippendale, Broadway, uh, Piermont at the time. And, and I really, really enjoyed it and I, and I was just thrown in the deep end. Mm-hmm. They gave me a, a mobile and said, look, there you go. You've got stock to sell, go and sell it. And I had no idea what I was doing. I picked it up pretty quick, did that for a few years and then I was headhunted to go to McGraw Real Estate and worked on a job for, for a long time. And mm-hmm. And I went back to where I grew up. So I was selling around, you know, Coogee, Maroubra. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but then I stopped enjoying it. Like the money was good and, you know, it was lots of stuff, but it was. What made you stop enjoying it? Just, it, it look, I didn't know that it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I was, And then it, and I, I guess that was a lot of, you know, what I've come to realise in the last few years going through my journey in life is that um, I had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. And it was all about. Um, you know, pleasing other people and, and doing things for the intention of being really good at something, but, you know, not, not actually stopping and going, right, like, do I love this? Do I really care about it? Does it get me out of bed? Um, the short of it is it's the money that got, got me out of bed. And that's looking back on the industry. It, it, it's for a lot of people that, that that's essentially what it is. I didn't love the job. I never saw myself doing it long term. I got really good at it. I work with a lot of amazing people and a lot of, you know, really lovely men and women took me under their wing and, and I had a lot of really good um, um, role models. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've taken a lot of those skills and learning and, and and learning to how to work with people and deal with people and understand people and I still carry that today. Let's talk about the lifestyle of it though because I feel like it's probably so different to how you currently live. I think a lot of people are attracted to being a real estate agent because there's money and nice cars and going into beautiful big homes and you're taking clients to lunch. Um, That can be a slippery slope as well though. Were you kind of exposed to that side of things? Oh, look, 100%. I I, I like working with people. That was one of the things that that I really enjoyed and I did – I loved helping people. That was the part I really enjoyed. But it's an industry where you get a lot of rejection. 
Mm. And, and, and the rejection over a period of time, you know, it's what I've learned now is that it creates stress in the body. So you're constantly, um, you're waking up each day, you know, with, with your guard up ready to sort of, mm. you're like, you're fighting every day. Survival and, mode, like yeah, we were talking about before. Yeah. And, and you're trying to win people over. You want people to pick you and you want someone to buy your home and you want someone to sell through you and you want everything to be picture perfect. But there's a lot of moving parts that you have mm. no control over. And, you are, you know, you can have the best day in the world by a bunch of people decide they want to sell with you, a bunch of people buy through you, you sell at auction, uh, you win a property that you've been chasing for years, mm-hmm. but then everything can go the following week. You can have everything go against you. Everything falls over. People decide that you're not the agent for them. Uh, you know, your colleague goes and lists something you you looked at two years ago and and you take everything personally. And if you don't have tools in your belt that you're working on yourself every day, you know, you can have a rough day today and carry that into tomorrow. Mm. And, and given what I, how I live today, if I had my time over again in real estate, you have to have balance in your life. You have to be and – I, and I had some balance, but I have um, more balance now than I've ever had. And that's just through maturity and become wiser, spending time with good people. But – you know, and then and then the byproduct of all of that stuff is the stress. So you're stressed out, and you're celebrating your wins, you're celebrating your losses, and you're numbing yourself. So there's your alcohol and your you know mm-hmm. your partying and all that sort of stuff, and and that's where the toxic element really comes in. And I think that's in any in any sales industry. Yeah, because it's stressful as well. Yeah. Um, can we talk about addiction? Yeah, sure. So do you? Because I say this from a sitting from a position where I'm sober and I have quite an addictive personality. Yep. And I know that you have, you know, dabbled with sobriety and you've been on a journey. Do you believe in addictive personalities? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I think what what I've, you know, I'm I'm over two and a half years sober now mm-hmm. and I and I had an attempt at sobriety uh, I don't know, eight to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned through this time is that um the a lot, a lot of my issues came down to lack of identity, and so when it came to real estate, you were trying to impress people. But even prior to real estate, even before I picked up a drink, and you know, when and you're growing up, I, I grew up in an environment I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. So there was always a level of anxiety looking back now, and I and I and I know what it feels like, and I remember those moments because when you don't have a connection to yourself, which I which I didn't. You know, you want to impress people in the pool, uh, on the football field. You're impressing mum and dad. Date, you're like, worrying, yeah. you're, but even before that, you're worrying about everyone else. Mm. You never actually get to understand who you are. Get to know the person you think you are. Um, what 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 drives you? What gets you out of bed? You know, all those things. Because you know, look look at my my childhood. My dad pushed us into a lot of sports to keep us out of trouble, but we never really got to, for me, looking back now, I never really got to see where my passions mm-hmm. were. How did I know if mm-hmm. I didn't want to play a, an instrument or a painter, be a painter? Who, yeah. And when you don't know who you are, then you're constantly trying to impress people. And when you are trying to impress people, it gets to a point you don't know who you are. And and so the stress and anxiety that comes with that, then you've got to, you've got to numb it somehow. You can numb it through... Excessive training, the addictive side of things. You know, it could be through food, it could be through alcohol, it could be through drugs. So, you know, I guess leading, going through life and getting into real estate was, you know, and and with with any form of addiction, and this is through my lens, 
nothing, you can't sustain it. Mm. It gets out of control at mm-hmm. some point, you know, and then when you think that you have a handle on it, like if you're excessive training and because it feels good and I say it all the time, people think it's sustainable. It's not. Mm. When people think that they can go and have half a dozen beers every Friday night and still get up and function and do that and they still may turn up, that's great. But over time, that will get worse. If they, if anything goes wrong in their world, they lose a loved one, a relationship, uh, lose a job, then things can spiral. And, and and they spiral when you don't have a plan, you don't have tools in your belt. So the, 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 the recreational side of things, when I was in real estate, when things were going really well, I had, a, I had control. What I deem as control, still get up, go out, not too late. But when things start to... There's, I think for me, there was just this unhappiness that was just lingering. It was just, and, and, and trauma sitting there and it was just mm-hmm. festering and it was just, it was like a cancer. It's um, right, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 then you have, it's doing things to you that, and, and I know this now, it's taken me a while to understand it all, is that, because I like to pull things apart, mm-hmm. you then numb yourself more. And then all of a sudden your body has a tolerance for a certain amount of drinks, you want to drink more and you don't. And, and the more you drink, then, you know, if you're picking up substances as well. At some point, you've got to come back to reality. And, and that was the part for me. I didn't want to come back to reality because I'd have to sit with it all. And, so, I, wasn't, and I wasn't happy who I was. Mm. So what was that like on the day-to-day? Or did you get to a point where you said before, you know, it kind of spirals out of control? Do you remember there being a moment or multiple moments where you thought, I can't keep doing this? Um, there were multiple moments over years where you, you hit a rock bottom and then you think, okay, it scares you enough. And, and what I was doing. I could hit an, a, a big enough rock bottom where it would scare the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And I could stop drinking. I could just cut it out and I could keep myself busy with other things. That was fine. But what I learned over time is that if you if you remove alcohol and obviously the substances are removed as well, if you're not doing work, if you're not getting help, then the moment you pick up the next drink, it, you go back to where you were. So, you know, I talked to a lot of people about it and and, and you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm for people now, I resource if they want to come and ask what I did. I don't mm. give any advice. I don't, I make suggestions on what's worked for me, but I certainly don't try and steer them any other direction because they're on their own journey. But you talk to a lot of people when they stop, but when they start again, they go back to where they were. Mm. There's been no improvement. So what they're essentially trying to do is learn how to drink properly. They're trying to turn something that's actually destructive into a skill. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing. What I what I didn't realize is that when I stopped drinking because I'd scared the shit out of myself, I wasn't doing the work. So then I was just constantly up and down like a fucking yo-yo for, sorry, swearing. That's okay. Um, like a yo-yo for years. And then, look, the, the reality is it, it got dark, it got light, it got dark, it got light. Um, you know, and we'll talk about the run club. That's been, yeah, a, that's yep, been a, yep. a defining moment in my life. But, you know, the my last drink in in 2020 in june of 2020 well, enough was enough mm-hmm. you know and and that was that was locking myself in a room for two days and just destruction and mm-hmm. you know it, it got to a point where one i was defeated and i was just i just said i'm just sick of this person that i am i need to i need to smash his identity and just completely just completely destroy it um and Second to that, I sat down with you know with my best mate Todd and business partner, and at that point he was worried, and he's like, you know, you go from being on top of it all and happy and around people, and then you just 
you disappear. He said, I'm worried. He said, look, what can I do? And <laughs> he won't mind me saying, so I, I actually laughed. And I wasn't laughing at him. And he's like, why are you laughing? And I said, well, it was, it was in that moment that I realized that there was nothing he could do. And in that moment, I realized that it was entirely up to me to change. It was entirely up to me to start doing the work. And I remember it was about it was about 11.30, 11.40. I think it was a Tuesday. And I said, man, I'll let it go. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? Where are you going? I said, I'm going to IA. And I knew there was a 12 o'clock meeting and I took myself to that meeting on the 22nd of June in, in 2020. And, and, you know, from that day on, I made a decision to do work. And, and work for me now is I get to a, a meeting almost every day. I meditate twice a day, worst case once. Um, I check in with my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I start my day in the dark every day and we'll talk about that today. Um, there's not a day that doesn't go by now that I put some something good into me. And it's just, it's it's not work anymore, it's living. And, and since then... I haven't even thought about picking up a drink. I have no desire to pick up a drink. Um, and, and my dark days, I have tools now. You know, I have, a, I have, I have a, a ton of tools that I can use that help me navigate that stuff. Two things. Firstly, thanks for sharing. Two things. Um, why do you think it was, what was different about your first attempt at sobriety 10 years prior? And the second time, was it purely just the fact that you had had enough and you didn't want to live yeah. in that way anymore? Um, was there any other sort of deciding factor that kind of changed that? I hadn't accepted that I could probably never have a drink again. Mm. So that was that was probably the most um and like and like I said a moment ago and I laugh when I when I talk to friends about it that you know the the writing was on the wall then that that you know and 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 you know alcoholism is a disease and for some people when they drink it it just it's like people that are allergic to peanuts. Mm, mm-hmm. That's the reality mm. and I think that um and you know, I'm not going to go on a rant here, but I think when society accepts that it is, people are. Aller- I'm allergic to alcohol. I look at it that way, and it's it's, it's pretty simple. Don't drink. <clears throat> and and one of the things that you know, a lot of a lot of sober members that I talk to, it's like just don't pick up the first drink. Yeah. So so that was the first thing I I, I had made a decision that you know, and accepted that alcohol didn't work for me. So I wanted to find a way where I could still have balance. And again, like I said before, which sounds absurd, you're trying to turn drinking into, into a skill, learning how to be able to have. So I look at that now and someone says to me that I just need to learn how to manage. I said, so how does it look? You want to train yourself to learn how to drink two or three drinks and then go home. And and, yeah. uh, and I go, that's not a skill. Like that is that is a ticking time bomb. And I get that too. People say, so when are you going to start drinking again? Yeah. Or like, why are you not drinking? When are you going to pick it back up? How are you going to incorporate it back into your life? Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to and I might never do that again. But I think it's the kind of fear of the unknown for a lot of people. Yeah. And beyond addiction, it's this in society in Australia, this culture of socialising around drinking too. But it is interesting when you do tell people that, I mean, not that I was addicted, but if you're not drinking, people do think like, oh, it's a temporary thing and you'll bring it back in. So it's a tough one to navigate, I think, especially for younger people. Yeah, it, it, look, it is. And it's it comes back to what I'm, you know, and we'll probably talk more about it today is when you, for me, when I worked at who I was, and, and that's only happened in the last couple of years and who I am. And who I am comfortable being, and it's and it's and that person is someone who can walk into any room, and I can just be me. Mm-hmm. And quite often, when you talk to a lot of people when they're struggling with alcohol, 
They use alcohol to numb themselves before they walk into a party, walk into any sort of room where they feel uncomfortable. And the only the only discomfort is they're just not comfortable who they are because mm. they don't know who they are because they don't have that connection. So one of the things we talk about through the community is that, is that you know, especially for me, when I'm not connected to me, I can't connect to other people because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's no connection. It's just emptiness. And for me, it was understanding who I was, what I func- what made me function, what my purpose was, what my why was, you know, and and I've learned that this time in sobriety because I've had to do a lot of sitting with myself. I meditate a lot and and I don't have anything to numb anymore. So mm-hmm. when I don't have anything to numb, it's just you. So when you talk about you know who you are now, yeah. who is Trent Knox? Um, <laughs> well, I can't answer that. Like it's it's funny. It's it's okay. Maybe this might paint a picture. Um, mm-hmm. So when when we went into lockdown, and um, you know obviously people are here this in reverse, and we have our, we have our run club. When we went into lockdown in twenty twenty. And we had to shut down all our run clubs, which is was a connection point, and we'd bring all these people together once a week, and that was the first thing. And we had to had to cancel because everything was being restricted. And we came up with a with a an idea that we would put up a daily video <laughs> on our account, and it was just like a daily workout or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And um and that was that was March thirty in twenty twenty. Now I wasn't sober at the time. Um, I was and and when I say I wasn't sober, I was just having a drink every now and then, but it was a binge. Mm. And what was happening was I had to stand in front of a camera and present, and I had no idea. I, you know, I look back. I, f- I found the first episode the other day, and I'm oh, literally no. whis- I'm using my hands. I'm whispering at the camera, and and you know, so then fast forward into we we, we caught it 44 days with the 440 because mm-hmm. that's how long we thought the the lockdown was roughly going for, and it con- it continued. We extended, so we're doing these daily videos. I'm putting while well, shooting them under 15 minutes. Because Instagram only allows you to post up to 15 minutes and then I just send it live. And it was just a body weight workout. It was we had yoga instructors, mm-hmm. I had Pilates mm-hmm. girls coming on and friends. And and then it rolled into every day with the 440. And then we started getting guests on. And then after a while, I started looking at these, these um these video pieces I was doing every day. And I looked at the confidence that I had, that I was I was getting up every morning, I was rolling onto this camera with a puffy head and a coffee, I was swearing. Three coffees. <laughs> the, the camera was falling over, it was windblown. And, and I remember one day just thinking, that's me. There's a guy who's comfortable who he is. There's a guy who knows what he's about. And I guess you know, if you ask who I am, I'm a guy that loves getting up in the dark, I love helping people, um, and, and, and I love – I love finding out who I am and I love, mm-hmm. you know, continuing this exploration of what drives me. And, you know, we've done over a thousand episodes of the coffee. We call it the coffee club now. And, you know, who, who I am, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm a community guy that likes getting up and having a laugh and hanging out with people and helping people. And I guess my primary purpose now is to, um, is to help people, um, find a connection with themselves. So, you know, to define what I specifically am, what it, it, I, it, like a guy said to me years ago, he said, Trent, you're a person, you know, and when you identify as a person, you're one of many people in the world um, and that, you know, you have, it's your birthright to have a good life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, and that's, a, that's another story. But, you know, I don't have any, I don't carry any shame or guilt anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And it's always, you're always evolving. I find yeah. that. It's like who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow or in six months or 10 years time. It's an exploration, as you said. Um, talk to me about the 440. Yeah. Where did that come about? When was the first day? And for anyone listening, please tell them because I also go along to the 440. It was actually kind of the first way I made friends when I moved to Sydney. Yep. Um, I was dragged along by a friend at four o'clock in the morning. Yes. I thought, what is this? These crazy people. Welcome to Bondi. But yeah, tell us how it came about. So we, the official under the name 440, we turned seven, we'll be seven this year in June. Prior to that, uh, I think I was still in real estate. I used to train with some mates and I was helping some mates out with the gym up the road in Bronte. And we decided that we were, we were doing some running that year, um, some half marathons and, and what have you. And there's an old track session that, um, which is pretty popular among sort of pre-season and conditioning work. It's 10 400s. And, and it's a, and anyone listening that who, who can identify with it, it's hard because it's 400 is a really tough distance and we, you do it on a track. So what we did was we worked out, we knew the hill at Bronte, the cutting, which is the old tram line, um, was roughly, it'd be somewhere about four or 500 meters. And we actually measured it out and turns out it was 440 <laughs> meters. But what we used to do before, any of the actual 440 community was formed. We used to meet down there every Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it for about three months because it, timing lies, it worked for us before we got on to work for the day and, and there'd be like anywhere between two to maybe five or six guys and we'd sprint flat out. Yeah. Like we were fit. We became the fittest, you know, versions of ourselves in the running space mm. from running up that fucking hill. It and really does yeah. like baptism by fire. Burn. It makes just, just, you so fit. So we were roughly doing getting up the hill in under two minutes and we would wow. do a walk back. Mm. So how it would work, sprint the top, walk back, and we'd turn one over every five minutes. So your recovery was, was timed. Mm. And then over time, we got faster to the top and then when that five minutes shortened to four minutes. So we could actually knock the session out in 40 minutes. And I, the, the mental, the mental um, side of things, it taught me a lot about breathing. It taught me a lot about positioning my body. It taught me a lot about, uh, you know, doing the one to 10 and, and how to mentally prepare myself. It taught, but the breath work was the biggest part. What I realized mm. my mates were not doing was not breathing on the way back down. Mm. And I started, I worked out quickly that your lungs are muscles and you can strengthen them. And I started, so I used to mentally prepare and I go, I'd count the first one to six sprints and I always try to make sure my nose was in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Ego. And <laughs> and then I used to then I used to count seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Just just think about them individually. Mm-hmm. And I knew and one of the boys used to at number nine used to fly out really quick and break us mentally. But I worked out that he'd go out hard, he'd get about twenty meters in front of you, and then he'd just stall. Yeah. So I knew if I could stay within him. So then I worked out if I could fin- put my nose in front on the ninth one. I went, oh, you guys are dead. <laughs> and win. because I knew that I was going to put everything on the line mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. one. And what I would do even, and just because I'm stubborn and I was super stubborn then, I'd breathe, I'd do even harder breath work on mm-hmm. the way down, mm-hmm. just pump this oxygen through. And nasal I just, breathing? Nasal breath, deep, mm-hmm. long, deep breaths in. And then, and then I went, oh, you guys are dead. And, you know, and I, and I would just, I'd, I thought, I used to think I could hear them on my feet, but I'd gap mm-hmm. them. And some days I wasn't that far in front, but, the result of all of that is I ran some of my best half marathons. Um, it, 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 I used to hate hill running, I should say. My brother used to be amazing. I, I, I used to suck at it. So I overcame that. And then essentially, so then after that, everyone dropped off the running. Um, 
I it was, was just you. It was it, just you running hills. It was just me. And, and looking back now, I was in a pretty dark period of my life, which I wasn't aware I was in darkness mm. at the time. And I was, you know, trying to get out of real estate and I was in, uh, like training people. And I didn't know what that looked like. And there was fear of leaving and the ego and all that stuff. And I just kept turning up every Saturday. And then I realized after one Saturday, I was trying to sprint. And I'm like, this sucks doing it on your own. It really sucks. And I just felt like I had no energy and I had just mm. no drive. And then I went, you know what, I'm just going to loop it. Like, anyway, I looped it for two weeks. I went, this sucks doing it on your own. And, and, I was, and I'd made a decision to get out of real estate. I pulled the pin. I was training people. And I went, you know what, I'm just going to set up an account and invite people. One mm. And I, I called it the 440 because it was 440 minutes to the top of the hill. And I just started inviting people. And I guess, look, I'll fast forward it for, for a couple of years. Um, you know, I was turning up and some weeks I wasn't turning up because I was on a bender or, or mm. I, I slept through because I was still destroying myself. And sometimes we get two people, 10 people, 20 people. And that went on for a couple of years. I had no idea what uh, what was going to happen with the place. I didn't know where we were going to grow into and I didn't mm. think where we are today we, we would get there. And then, you know, it, but it was consistent. And then I remember breaking my foot in like year two and there were a few few guys and girls used to just turn up and, and, and run it for, you know, for about two or three months while I was off my feet. I came back. But then but then in, in, in 20, 2018, January 13, January 13, 2018, there's a big Lithuanian bloke called Todd Levinskis. <laughs> and, and Toddy and I had reconnected a few months before. We, we'd met each other several years ago and we had a lot of older mates yep. who we used to train with. And I was just harassing the shit out of him. I said, mate, can you just fucking come down this run? <laughs> um, and he was crossfitting rugby and he was, he's like big as a house. Like he'd eat your children so big. <laughs> and um, anyhow, we got Can him down. Can confirm. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we got him down and, and um, you know, last week we celebrated his fifth birthday at, at the run club and mm. he, he came down and fell in love with it pretty quick. We were spending a lot of time together. We had this we had this synergy and connection that was there. It was it was it was really it was rare, it was real, it was raw. And um he'd grown up in an environment around inclusion with his dad and football and group training. I'd grown up in an environment with, through my dad where he was very inclusive of everyone and and group training and, and a lot of men training together and you know, it was probably early, early it, probably early stages of good mental of of, of men's mental health groups, but yeah, not not yeah. good not good ones because we didn't talk. You just trained and bagged each other. Um, yeah, and then we just we just I don't know we just we, we kept hanging out and and then I started then posting a lot more on our account and putting up like pictures of Justin Bieber and Brad Pitt and all this <laughs> weird stuff just to try and what I was trying to do at the time was trying to make. Because hill running sucks. Getting up at five, getting up at four a.m. sucks on the Saturday, and trying to create humour. And I was trying to invite people, and everyone's just like going, "Fuck off, mm. not coming." And then when and then we got to a stage where it was starting to grow a little bit, like twenty people, thirty people. And I said, "Mate, you know what? I'm sick of begging people. How about you and I just make a decision? We're going to turn up every mm-hmm. Saturday, and and if everyone wants to turn up, great. They do. If they don't, then that's cool." And soon as we pull back and just mm. focused on us, then the energy shifted. Then we started getting a big um, injection of, of females, funny enough, mm. you know, who, because well, they're more open to new things than men, they started coming down mm. and they started sharing, they started bringing people. And then the rest has been history where it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and, and 
you just had 500 people there last week. Yeah, and I think we had we had the same this morning. It was it was busy, and I think you know, like if people ask me why it works, it, it works because it's a and I'm a stubborn person. I dug my heels and go, I'm not changing. It's 5 a.m. Saturday. Yeah, why? It. Tell us why is it so early? So, looking back on it now, and and why it works. Firstly, Saturday mornings suck, mm-hmm. and that's whether you've had a busy work week or you've been out playing up. No one wants to get up. Mm-hmm. And how do I know that? If you if you if you want to test it, get in the car at four a.m. on a Saturday morning just and just drive around the streets. Often, when I rock up to the four forty, you'll see people coming back from a night out in their heels, walking down the street. But, but the roads are dead. Mm-hmm. The roads dead, and and there's no one. There's actually less life on a Saturday morning than Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I see I'm up early and there's more people about. But Saturday, I don't know. I think it's just because we're conditioned that end of the week sleep in mm. or condition end of the week, let's go out and have, you know, half a bunch of, you know, martinis and, you know, mm-hmm. have a bit of a dance and all that stuff. And so I, I worked out that um, the 5 a.m. for me was just more suitable initially. Now 5 a.m. works well at Bronte because it's before everyone else Quieter. gets down there. Mm. Um, it's making people do something outside the comfort zone. You know, no one wants to get up at 4 a.m. to start at 5. And... I think that the fact that we don't change our menu, we do a loop run. It's the same thing every week. You know what you're getting and we don't count your laps. We don't, you don't have to register. You don't have to do anything. You just, you just turn up. Um, the darkness has been a lot of people's um, ally mm. because they don't have to identify themselves and no one, they can stick a foot like they're on. being looked at if they're a potentially they a runner the or, yep. And I think that, I think that um, keeping it at the same time, there's reliability in that. Also, we've also made a point that we do it every every Saturday. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not there or Toddy's not there, we've always got someone to run it. And it's like we are very similar. I didn't realize we're very similar to the AA platform. Mm-hmm. It's you, always open. And whatever the schedule is where AA meetings are around the country, they're always open on those given days. And that's the same with 440. Like I've done yep. the 440 in Melbourne. I've done yep. it in Byron. It's everywhere, which is amazing and a testament to how much work you guys have put into it. But yeah. um, I'm keen to hear you've said on Instagram running isn't just about running. Yep. What is it about? So, yeah, and we do, we, we, do, we do push that, that we're more than a run club. You know, it's funny. Running's actually taken a back seat. Without within you know our community in the last couple of years because we started as a run club and then through um, going back to what we're talking about with COVID and the coffee club chats, we're now our our whole you know I guess our product is getting people up in the dark every day mm. and you know we don't and we're and we're inclusive so if if you're not if you don't def- define yourself as a runner or don't think you've got the ability to run yet and all you want to do for now is just get out. Um, outdoors before the sun gets up just to walk around the block, then, you know, that's great. And so we've become a connection point. Mm. You know, we our, our, our primary purpose, and we say this, you know, we're a face-to-face inclusive community and our, and our primary purpose is helping people um, move and stay connected. Now, the definition of moving can be anything. It can mm. be getting on a surfboard. It can be you know, getting on a bike, it can be, you know, getting on a tread in, inside a gym. It could be just walking one lap around the block. It mm. could be walking down your stairs to pick up the paper and yep. walk back up because what what I've realised is that we put a lot of effort into helping the people around us, like so much. We care and love each other so much. And sometimes that gets the better of us 
well, we want the best for someone, but they're not willing and not ready to receive your help. Mm. And I always, I always, um, I always compare it to a dog walker. A dog walker can only walk so many dogs mm-hmm. at one time. And it's like a personal trainer. It's like what we do. We, we, we can't hold your hand. Mm. You have to show up for yourself. Yeah. And so how do we help? How do we help that? You know, well, we create content around that. We tell stories. We're reliable. We're there every week. And now with this coffee club chat, we do it every single day. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we, 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 we go live at 4.36 mornings. Sundays I do it, you know, between six and seven. And, you know, going back to what your question was about, we're more than running. We're now just to help get you out of bed every day. And that's, and that's our, our product is, is helping you get up before the sun. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, which I think is really cool is, um, is developing a relationship with your darkness and the, the, our darknesses is what are our blockages to walk away from a toxic relationship, start a new Mm -hmm. career, start Mm -hmm. a new business, you know, learn a new skill, Mm -hmm. run a marathon, you swim the English channel. It's darkness. You know, we sit in darkness and it's fear. And the, and the other side of fear is love. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our stuff is around the self-care, self-love. Like you, and, and, and going back to my story, I didn't love myself because I didn't have that connection and I didn't think I was worthy of my own love. So when I changed that, then, you know, like as they say, like love is the answer. When you love yourself, everything just works itself out. How did you do that? For anyone um, listening at home, they might be in a similar position. They don't know who they are. They well, don't know how to start feeling worthy. Yeah, look, Where do you start? It, it's it's practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is practice. There's not it's, if you haven't been if you live most of your life and you really haven't loved yourself. And I had to be honest. I had to firstly accept that, and I had to surrender the fact that I didn't have a lot of love for myself. And what I was doing over time is I was putting everyone else first, mm-hmm. which is you know it's a typical behaviour for someone that doesn't have a connection. And this was my story. Uh, didn't love myself, so you know I, I had to hit my rock bottom. I had uh, I had to say enough's enough, and I think when your best mate's sitting in front of you saying, "What can I do?" Mm. That was that was the the moment for me to go right. Like if you've got all these people that really care and love you, that will do anything for you, then maybe that's the answer. You don't love yourself. Maybe start loving yourself, and you'll do whatever it takes. So then. You know, I made I made an effort to do whatever it takes. I mean, I got to a meeting every day for ninety days. I went back to my psychologist. I, I made sure I was meditating twice a day, and and I, and I didn't I didn't try and overload myself. There are things that were sustainable. Then, which is really crucial, Todd and I had a serious conversation about. I was doing the coffee club, and he said, "Look, I'm really worried about it's going to be too much pressure for you." Right. What do you think? And I said, mate, look, let me think about it. And um, and this was this was in within the first one to two weeks of me trying to get sober again. Mm. And so there was an, another defining moment. So I went to I had about a week or two of meetings under my belt, and I remember waking up one morning. I don't actually I don't even know if I woke up or wherever I was, and something just hit me like a lightning bolt, and and, and I had this moment where I went, okay. The 440 will do something amazing. And our goal is to get it global, that's the stuff. And we're still, you know, figuring it out, but we're getting closer with it. Mm-hmm. And I and I just had this moment where I just had this thought that the 440 will do something amazing. Um, it will be bigger than 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 what I can sort of imagine. Was that just an intuitive feeling? It was an intuitive feeling. Mm-hmm. And I, and then it said, and then the next thing I said to myself, hey, there's one condition. 
you got to stop drinking and you can never pick, a, pick up a drink again. And it, that, was, that was one side. So it'll be all it's going to be, but you can't drink. And then, and then another door appeared and I said, here's the other door. The other door is um, have a break for a while and maybe see if drinking, you have a drink every now and then and do all that sh- shit. But the 440 will cease to exist at some point. Mm. It will be gone. There's no, and there's no middle ground. There's no other choice. There's no, you there's just door, knew that. There's door A or door B. It's either, it's either let it, it'll be amazing or, or it'll disappear. Not, not that it won't be amazing. It will, mm. it will go. And it'll be one of those things that people go, hey, remember mm. whatever happened to. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be that. And, and I, it was simple. All right, right, cool. I want the 440 to be all I can be. I don't, and, and whatever that looks like. And I'm, and I'm willing to take a punt. I'm going to, I'm going to put all my effort into that. And, I'm like, cool, don't drink. So then I went back to Todd and I said, mate, I need the coffee club because it's part of my sobriety. So sitting with you right now, I know I've got to be up tomorrow morning to present on that. Mm-hmm. So it's accountability for me. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's served me for over two and a half years now. So And at the same time, coffee club's grown, run club's growing, the community's growing. Yep. So, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, a rocket scientist to work out that, don't drink. Everything's good. And consistency. You kept showing up kept every, showing up. like, I've watched coffee clubs with you getting basically blown away down oh, Bondi yeah. Promenade in the middle of winter and, you know, standing in the rain and you always show up, which I think is an amazing kind of life principle to have. Well, well our theme is get up, lace up, turn 100%. up. And, and in going back to what you said about more than running, like that get up, lace up, turn up is, is life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You know, I always say it doesn't even matter if you wake up and you put two left shoes on. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It, nothing, and, and, and the metaphor for that is nothing's ever going to be perfect for mm-hmm. you. And, you know, the show's got to go on. And, and when you're not getting up, lacing up and turning up, the rest of the world's still doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it is like a testament to, as you said before, the community is so inclusive. Like I have gone before and walked. I've seen mums with prams there. Then you've got your athletes like banging out 12 laps. You know, it's for everyone, which I think is really special. And it genuinely is. Um, what's the importance of community? Like you have you have community in AA, you have community in running. What is the importance there? Community, and I talk a lot about this. Um, community is important. We, we need it. And we've just come off the back of a couple of years of lockdown and, and people being isolated and everyone's got a different version of community. My version of community is, is, um, is turning up. It's giving you time. It's serving something, serving a purpose, um, you know, bigger than you and bigger than all of us. Um, there are people that, um, you know, and, and and there are people that are time poor and their version of community is sponsoring the local netball team and football club and buying their jerseys and 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 it's 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 up to the individual. And I think that's awesome because it's like they're not doing they're not doing nothing. They're actually helping. Um, I've learned that there is more than. Um, Community is more than money, mm-hmm. you know. For me, it's and it's and I've I've done that. I get up and lace up and turn up every day. The coffee club is my contribution mm-hmm. to community. Turning up face to face. If I'm in Sydney, I'm at the Run Club because I need to be there. And community, there is it's a big space, and there's it there's a lot of emptiness in there at the moment. Yeah, we need more Run Clubs. We need more swim clubs. We need more mental health clubs. Yeah, yeah. Everything. And, and and so we part of our. Um, I guess part of our strategy is to help people set up their own version mm-hmm. of a community event. It doesn't have to be a 440, but we love people leaning on us and say, hey, how did it work for you? What, is it, what does it do? And, and the things that have helped us is consistency, sustainability, um, giving myself space to, mm-hmm. and, um, 
And again, going back to what we spoke about, knowing who you are, because when you know who you are, everything's easy. I don't have to, um, you know, I have mates that are curious going like, like, how do you get up every day and how do you know what to say? And I go, because I don't think about mm. it. I don't worry about it. You know, shit happens to me every morning. Like I spill coffee, I fall <laughs> over, I crack phone, I crack my phone the oh, other morning. No. You know, but luckily the girls from Apple fixed it for me. But shout out, shit happens. Yep. And the more I don't think about it, then if it's me staring at a screen freezing up, then there's a joke in that in itself. Yep. And you know, and and Toddy Toddy has been at the you know the butt of all my jokes for a long time. He's always doing funny stuff that makes me laugh, and I like sharing it and yeah. throwing him under the bus. And I, and you know, part of the banter on the coffee club is how I grew up. I grew up with a lot of men with dry sense of humour, just bagging the shit out of each other, and that was their way of connecting. Mm. That was their their way of putting your hand on your shoulder, going, "Hey, we're all in this mm. together." I love that you said it's about alignment and knowing who you are though because I get the same. People say, how do you do so much in a day? Like, oh, how do you do this? How do you get up? It's because it's aligned for me. I'm excited to do it. I know what my ideal day looks like, what brings me joy and you do have to really kind of sit with yourself in quiet spaces and moments over time to figure that out. Um, But for anyone who's listening, there might be someone who, this extends beyond running. Say maybe they want to start going for runs. They've never run before but maybe they just feel very um, lost in life and they don't really know what their next step should be. How can you kind of start that journey? Yeah. So we we through last year, and what I've le- worked out in my own journey is that um, you don't. We don't have the luxury of having a day off and just doing nothing. And you know what do I mean by that? Well, I have a list of daily non-negotiables that I can you know, pick and choose which one I don't want to use, and and I call them tools that mm-hmm. you know. And I always laugh and it's like Batman with his tool belt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and for me, my tools are you know getting up in the dark and starting my day in the dark, meditation, mm-hmm. cold shower, or getting in the ocean. The most important thing is that, like I said, like you've got to do something for you every fucking day, every day. You you know you can't expect to we work okay nine to five monday to friday you know and then we switch off on weekends that's cool but you can still get up and do something you can Mm -hmm. still go and dip your toe in the ocean you can still go and have a massage or a stretch or you know go for a bike ride with the kids it doesn't mean you have to do a high intensity boxing workout or throw weights around smash heels it's You've got to move. You've got to be mindful. You've got to, you know, stay hydrated. You've got to, uh, you know, try and eat relatively well. That's the thing. It doesn't have to take half your day to do something kind for yourself. I find if I'm having like a super busy day, just cooking myself a nice lunch with vegetables and, you know, like knowing it's healthy for me and sitting down mindfully and not looking at my phone and actually being in the moment of eating that, that's a little nice promise to myself that I can do that once a day. If I have nothing else, at least I've got that, or at least I've got the 10 minutes in the morning to meditate. So I think people and all of us can kind of build on those habits and compound it till you get to a point where you're really happy with your daily routine and you've got all those tools. But it starts with maybe just finding one. Yeah, and the the thing is, and and this might help, like I might sit here and it all sounds easy. Like the the last two and a half years of sobriety for me has been been tough. And it's not about the drinking and and the drugs. It's 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 when you get to getting to know yourself, there are things that you may not like about yourself and you've got to work through that and process that. And, you know, there's days I haven't wanted to come outside. There's, ga- there's days that I don't want to talk to people. And there's, you know, and, and people that know me well, I'm, I'm 
predominantly moody most days because <laughs> I get up at, I call it stupid o'clock. What is it, 3 a.m.? 3.30 the first alarm mm. goes off and that's six days a week. And I, you know, I wake up, my eyes open up and I'm like, fuck. Your eyes go. are going this way. <laughs> oh, you know, and well, it doesn't matter what happens today. Like yeah. that alarm goes off tomorrow. But, you know, I think that the, the important part of all of it is that you just got to do what works for you. And like it's, I'm at two and a half years of, you know, not drinking, living a better life, being connected, all that stuff. And you just got to like on the rough days, you got to go, hey, like, you know, it's not working today. That's mm-hmm. cool. And you still got to get out and, and, you know, if you're meant to be going to the gym and lifting weights, maybe just go for a walk yep. and be and give yourself permission that, that, that that's okay. The other thing too is that, you know, people live life in challenges and things and they they only serve a particular purpose. The I, I look, I think for anyone that's really trying to find their way and find a formula that works, it can take six, twelve, eighteen months. Mm. Now I'm not saying that to scare people, it's that's trial and error. But if you keep the simple foundation of like get up before sunrise, okay. Um Stick yourself in the ocean, stick yourself under a cold shower. Because when you start doing all that stuff, what ends up happening is you start hitting a wall during the day. Mm. So so the signs are there saying, hey, get to bed early. Yeah. You know, and, and I just wanted to push that point. So when you go back to why Saturday works with the run club, getting up on the hardest day of the week changes the rest of your week. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what do I mean by that? Get up Saturday morning. You've been up, okay, today's Saturday for the people that are listening to this. <laughs> um, 4.40 day. 4.40 day. So if you've been up and you've moved and you've, you've you know, jumped in the ocean, you've had a coffee, you've set your weekend up already, mm-hmm. you're probably having a nap right now, okay? <laughs> Most people, we call it the, the 4.40 nap club. Mm-hmm. But if you get up and do something good on a Saturday, you're probably going to get up and do something good on a Sunday because you're too tired to go out tonight. If you get up tomorrow being Sunday and move, You've now got momentum leading into the week. And what happens over time, the more people that keep coming back to our run on Saturday, they start going, hang on, why is this so hard? Oh, it's because I'm doing nothing during the week. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they pick up another run. Then they meet some people and they start going to the gym. And they all the- eat healthier, potentially drink more water. And guess what? By Wednesday, Thursday, they're already planning an early night in bed Thursday, mm-hmm. an early night in Friday, just so they can turn up for one day. You know, and, and that one day is not only about movement, mm-hmm. it's about connection. It's about connection to people, connection to the ocean. It's about coffee connection and, and coffee chats, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's face to face. And that's where we have that real connection. And, and, you know, and those vulnerable chats that we have on Saturday with people turn up on their own, they don't know anyone. That is, that is real connection, mm-hmm. vulnerability. And it's the driving force in connection. And we, we talk a lot about that. Um, it's because you and Todd, who live from a place of connection and authenticity and vulnerability, like just through this chat today, you're the core of that community and yeah. you're literally modeling behavior and showing people. Yeah, we're share do your it. stories, we're turn up. be honest, connect with others, meet a stranger, live your truth, all those principles. The reason it's working, I think, is because you're at the core of it and you're yeah. living that. And I think, and sharing too, like it took me when I came back into sobriety, you know, it's pretty funny. Like, I was probably everyone starts sharing their stories through the channels of what mm-hmm. what they're benefiting from and and you know and I've said this years ago in a podcast I was I was the only dickhead not sharing because I was carrying shame and guilt but then when I started getting help um, and started looking after myself better I'm like 
you know, like, and Todd said, you, you can, you'll probably help unlock a lot of people's trauma. And 100%. I started sharing because in, in sobriety, one of the biggest fears is when you start telling everyone what you're doing, you're, you're putting pressure on yourself mm. to stay sober. Mm. But, you know, I, I, I worked out after 12 months, I had a non-alcoholic beer with Todd. I was in Melbourne. And I spat it out on the ground next to him because a, a guy we're running with, he was he was doing the marketing. He brought it over and it was pretty funny. And he's like, "Have one of these." I said, "All right, great." And it was like cat's piss. Yeah, like, you, you know. And, and, and so at that point, I realised, well, that's cool. I don't like the taste of beer. That's great. Yeah, I've never appreciated a, a good a good glass of wine. So it wasn't about the drinking anymore. It's like well, you, I don't like it. Yeah. So I was happy to have a Coke or a Sprite mm-hmm. or a, you know orange juice, and then. Yeah, you know, it didn't mean that I still didn't have the trauma coming out, and and that's where like leaning in on your friends and and, and having therapists yeah. and 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 you know mindfulness and and listening to other people's mm. stories because here's the thing: what I learned, my story wasn't new, even though I thought I was pioneering my own dumb shit. There are people have done that before me, and there'll be people that will continue to do the dumb shit after me. So. When you hear relatable stories, it normalizes things and then you start going, okay, what did you do? Mm-hmm. So when people ask what I do now, I don't have all the answers, but I know that if I get up in the dark and I move every day and I get to a meeting most days and I go and see my, my psychologist when I need to see him and when I've had enough and everyone's pissed me off and I've done too much, I go to bed mm-hmm. or I go and fall asleep in the movie. Yeah. You know, I go and spend 40 bucks and have a sleep at Hoyt's and that's <laughs> – but that works. Yeah. You know what works for you. And I think the overwhelming message I've found through this conversation is that it's hard and you have to keep showing up for yourself and there's no formula. You have to figure out what works for you. But on the other side of that is this incredible expansive life where you feel aligned, you're connected to others, you're moving from a place of love and not fear yeah. and you have a mission So and a purpose. So yeah. thank you for sharing and and being here. Thank um, you. We have a closing tradition on this podcast. Yep. Every single guest has to answer the same question. <laughs> yeah. It's very broad. So, you know, no right or wrong answers. You can just say what feels right for you. I've had a guest refuse to answer. So <laughs> <laughs> the question is, Trent, what is the meaning of life? To find out who you are. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Perfect. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. It's been amazing. And I think this is going to help a lot of people be inspired to kind of take that first step and step into the unknown and, and start that voyage into the core of who they are. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next or if you have a story to share, I'd love to get in touch with you. You can connect directly with me on Instagram at Life Chats Podcast, one word. And every review and share really does help so much in the early days of building a podcast. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media or you can snap a pic of where you might be listening and jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I really do appreciate the support more than you know. Have a beautiful morning, afternoon or evening wherever you may be listening in the world. I'm Georgia May and this is Life Chats.